Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. We're in a series called uh, November, K-N-O-W. It's a series of messages designed to answer some of the questions that you submitted or the things that were on your mind, things that you want to know. All right, so last week we dealt with the current situation in Israel uh, and today, as promised, we're going to continue to talk about Israel in the, uh, in the sense that we're going to talk about the future of Israel, thus the future of the world in which we live. It'll probably take uh, at least a, uh, this week and next week to get through even a high-altitude flyover like we're going to do, but I think it's critically important for us to do this uh, today. Here's why I think it's important. The gospel that's been preached in most churches, most American churches, in the last 20 to 30 years is very different from the gospel that was preached when I was a kid and for generations before that. More importantly, it's very different than the gospel that's presented in the Bible. Too many churches pivoted in the 1990s to a here and now sort of prosperity gospel. We started talking about how to make this life better. We started talking about how to get rich, how to get healthy, how to be safe and happy. Our focus was clearly limited to earthly things. With, with the occasional glance to, to the heavens now and then when we, needed, uh, when we needed some divine intervention to make our dreams come true. We taught the principles of Jesus apart from relationship with Jesus and all we did was create a cult that sounds like Christians, but actually worships greed and self. The message of the gospel is not designed to give you your best life now. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said, if our only hope is in this world, then we are above all human beings most miserable. The gospel doesn't even make sense in the context of the here and now. It's, it's a conversation about original sin, about the fall of mankind from right relationship with God. It's about the sacrifice of Jesus, the redemption of mankind. It's the restoration of all things for eternity. Paul told the Corinthians that the things we experience here on this earth are light and momentary, just temporary in comparison to the weight of, of eternity and the glory that awaits us. So you've heard the old saying, live like there's no tomorrow. Y'all heard that? It's a lie. It's a lie. Don't believe that. There is a tomorrow. And it's an eternal tomorrow. Tomorrow may be the day that the events on God's calendar begin to unfold. So if you don't hear anything else today, please hear this. We have to live like there is a tomorrow. A tomorrow that'll change everything for eternity. It's real. And it has to be what we're working for, what we're watching for, what we're longing for as followers of Jesus. 
There are forces at play right now that could very well reach critical mass and change the world tomorrow. And I would be remiss if I didn't tell you and teach you about these things so that you can know how to be ready and so you can understand what you're seeing and hearing and experiencing on this earth. So I want to teach you some things today, okay? I have, I've got kids and grandkids who have inherited a world system that looks nothing like the one I was born into, Right? This world is nothing like it was when I was born in 1969. So, good Lord, that sounds like a long time ago. Wow. Anyway, uh, I was young when I was born, so I'm not responsible for any of that. Um, I I need to teach my kids and my grandkids and your kids and your grandkids not just what's right and wrong, but where this whole thing is headed, right? And as we said last week, Israel is right in the center of everything. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you the prophetic timeline of events that are on God's calendar as revealed in his word, all right? It's not going to be a lot of speculation. I'm not going to give you a bunch of opinion. I just want to try to to dig into the word and tell you what the book says, okay? If you read it differently, uh, I'm okay with that as long as what you believe is backed up by biblical evidence, all right? We're going to talk about what what the Word says the event is going to be, how it involves Israel if it does, and also talk about some of the big picture takeaways that we can understand and apply now, all right? So we're just going to dive in. The next event on God's calendar is the rapture of the church, the rapture of the church. The the, The word rapture does not appear in the Bible, but it's based on a Latin word that's in 1 Corinthians that we're going to read, in 1 Thessalonians that we're going to read in just a minute. It means to be caught away, to catch away, or to snatch away. It's it's both, the, the rapture is both a resurrection and a supernatural evacuation of the followers of Christ from this world. All the believers, all the followers of Jesus will disappear in an instant. And it's described in various places through the through the word Specifically in 1 Corinthians 15, which we always read at funerals, but it's really a rapture passage. And also right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So if you'll turn with me there, we're going to start at verse 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you won't grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. Okay, this is a direct revelation that Paul had from Jesus himself. It's not his opinion about what's going to happen. This is a revelation of Jesus to the Apostle Paul. He said, we who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. And then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. There we will be with the Lord forever. Now don't miss verse 18. So encourage each other with these words. 
encourage each other. The early church was convinced that Jesus was going to return and set up his earthly kingdom really at any moment. Uh, they watched him ascend from, uh, from the Mount of Olives, and they really thought he was just going to like go change clothes and come right back. <laughs> right? Like grab a snack, get a little lunch, come back, change the world. They really expected that Jesus was coming back at any moment. They lived with that expectation. But as the saints of God began to pass away five years 10 years, 15 years into the New Testament church, then then they got concerned that the saints who had died had missed their chance to be with Jesus in his kingdom. And so the Apostle Paul is trying to reassure them that those people have not been lost, they've not been forgotten, they haven't missed their chance to be with Jesus. So when this passage of Scripture comes to pass, that was just described in 1 Thessalonians 4, Jesus himself will return from heaven, all right? Jesus is coming back. People ask all the time, why, why will Christians hear it? Why will Christians hear it at the rapture, but not other people? Well, it says that Jesus will give a commanding shout. Doesn't it say that his sheep will know his voice? The others don't respond because they don't recognize his voice. Right? There's going to be the voice of an archangel. There's going to be the sounding of the trumpet of God. When that happens, those believers who have already died will rise from the grave. There will be a, a physical resurrection. They will come out of the grave. And it doesn't matter whether you're cremated or embalmed. It's not a challenge for Jesus, okay? He's going to find all your particles. <laughs> and he's going to bring them back, Okay? There, it's not a challenge. He's not like he's not stretching right now, trying to get ready for. It's okay. He's 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 okay. There's also going to be the the so it'll be the voice of the archangel. It'll be the trumpet of God. The the dead who've died in Christ will rise, and then their bodies will be changed from mortal to immortal, and they'll rise and meet Jesus in the air. Then those who are alive and remain on the earth won't die. They will just immediately receive their immortal bodies and they will also rise to meet Jesus in the air. So for all those who are at that time or who were followers of Jesus at the times of their deaths, this moment will either be resurrection or rapture. But either way, we're going to rise to meet Jesus in the air and be taken back to heaven with him. Amen. Now, this is, so, so don't, don't say, oh man, I just can't wait for the second coming. This is not the second coming of Christ. This is a separate deal. We're going to talk more about the second coming. But at the, at the second coming, Jesus will come back to earth, set up his kingdom. He's not coming back to earth. We're going to rise to meet him in the air. Okay? So it's clear from scripture this is a completely different deal. All right? He's not, this is not the second coming. You say, well, John, listen. I get that. I'm glad everybody's excited about it, but I'm just not sure I believe in this rapture stuff. It just sounds a little too supernatural to me. And boy, I mean, you're right. It's a lot to take in, right? It's a lot to wrap your head around. But let me see if I can put this in some perspective for you, okay? If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, then you believe that Jesus is the Son of God made flesh, right? Born of a virgin, lived a sinless, perfect life, performed tens of thousands of miracles, walked on the water, raised the dead, took upon himself the sins of all humanity for all time, 
became the perfect sacrifice for those sins. Died, was buried, and rose again three days later and is inviting all of us to live with him forever in eternity in heaven, right? But, but somehow him sticking his head out of heaven and hollering at us to get us to come home is too supernatural for you? Like you draw the line there? There is no biblical version of Christianity that isn't supernatural. Like the whole thing is supernatural. If you can't wrap your mind around the power of God to resurrect and rapture his church, then you never would have believed in Jesus when he was on the earth. Because his whole life was supernatural. Every word of God is going to come to pass. Whether people want it or not. Whether people accept it or not. The Old Testament prophets, here's an example. The Old Testament prophets gave lots and lots of, uh, of prophecies about the Messiah, the coming Messiah. Jesus fulfilled every one of those prophecies. But most of the Jewish world refused to believe, although they'd been looking for him for hundreds of years. Does that mean he's not the Messiah? No. Unbelief doesn't change the spiritual reality. Just because somebody doesn't believe it doesn't mean it's not still real and it's not still going to happen. He is coming back to call his people home. The question isn't whether it's going to happen, but when. So here's the question today. Are you living like there's no tomorrow? Because there will be a tomorrow and it might be the day that he calls us home. The rapture of the church is often associated with what the Bible terms the tribulation, the tribulation period. It's a seven-year period of time during which the accumulated judgment of God gets poured out on the earth. And Israel is the centerpiece of everybody's focus during that seven-year tribulation period. And I mention it here because, because we're going to talk about it in just a minute, but I mention it now because some believe that the rapture is going to take place after that seven-year tribulation. Others believe it will be somewhere in the middle of the tribulation. I believe, and our denomination teaches, that the rapture will take place before the tribulation period. All right? And here's one of the scriptures that I believe supports that belief. It's also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 9, starting in verse 9, it says, For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we're dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. Listen, it says in another verse, it says, in another version, it says we're not destined for wrath. We're destined for salvation. I don't know how we're supposed to comfort one another with the idea of rapture if we're going to be enduring the wrath of God that he's pouring out on the earth during that time. I believe the Bible teaches a pre-tribulation rapture, all right? So here's, here's what you need to know about the rapture of the church, all right? It is going to happen. It's going to happen whether you believe it or not. It's going to happen whether you're ready or not. What Paul described in 1 Thessalonians 4 is not the second coming. It's not like anything else in the word. It's the rapture of the church. Here's the second thing. He, Jesus is coming back for those who are truly saved and are watching for him. Amen. He's not coming back for church members. Amen. 
Not coming back for the casual, the, the casual Christian, the cultural Christian, the lip service Christian, but those who are truly born again and who have a relationship with Jesus. Here's the other thing. Another thing you need to, you need to know about the rapture, it could happen at any time, right? I, I'm, I am unaware. I am not a, I'm not an expert really on anything, but least of all, eschatology, the, the study of end times. I, I'm not an expert, but I don't know of any prophecies that have to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church takes place. It could literally happen anytime, all right? And here's the last thing. Um, it will be catastrophic, okay? It's going to be catastrophic. The, the, the rest of the world may not hear the voice of Jesus or the trumpet of God, but they're going to know what happened, all right? The believers... The, so just think about that. All of the, the millions of believers, and there's like 8 billion people in the world, so there's just a small percentage. But when you think of millions of people disappearing in one moment all around the world, uh, that's going to make headline news. Okay? Um, there are believers who operate machinery, heavy machinery. There are believers who um, are airplane pilots and train engineers and um, school bus drivers, right? Drivers of all kinds of cars at all kinds of rates of speed. Um, and if they're suddenly absent from their seat, there's going to be lots and lots of accidents, okay? There'll be thousands of people killed, and it'll cause worldwide panic. It will be a catastrophic, life-changing event for the world, okay? So, at some point after the rapture, um, the world will enter into a seven-year tribulation period that I just mentioned. That would be uh, the next event on God's calendar uh, after the rapture. The, the prophet Daniel, this is, uh, this is what he referred to as the 70th week, if you're familiar with his prophecy of weeks. Uh, he also called this a time of distress. I would say that was an understatement. Jeremiah called it Jacob's trouble. Uh, many prophets in the Old Testament referred to it as the day of the Lord, all right? In Matthew 24, Jesus called the last half of the tribulation period, he called it the great tribulation. The purpose of the tribulation is twofold, okay? First, it completes God's judgment of Israel and facilitates their path back to relationship with him through Jesus. It has always been God's plan for Israel to accept Jesus as Messiah and come back into right relationship with him. You read Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, you can tell the heart of God is towards, is towards his people Israel and it's his heart for them to come back to Jesus. And that's what the tribulation period is going to facilitate. So first of all, it's going to be the completion of his judgment on Israel and, his, and really pushing them towards making a decision um, for Jesus. The second thing that the tribulation does is it's the pouring out of God's wrath on unbelievers. When you think about all the sin that has been, all the evil, all the violence, that's, all the injustice that's been perpetrated against mankind by other humans for, for the, the, the thousands of years that we've been on this earth, God has been merciful to us. But he is not just a God of mercy, he's also a God of justice. So those, the price has to be paid. The price has to be paid. He sent Jesus 
to pay the price, but if people don't receive that gift of salvation, then they are still responsible for their own sins and for the, for the evil that has accumulated on this earth. So Revelation, beginning in chapter 6, starts to describe the seals that will be opened, the vials that will be poured out, the trumpets that will sound, the terrors which will be unleashed, and that will result in catastrophic natural disasters, in wars, in social upheaval, in famine, in economic distress, in plagues, in judge, the judgments that will be poured out. It will be as if the planet and the elements have turned against the people of, earth, of the earth. You've heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's famous in, in, uh, in, in all kinds of media through the years. That's a, they're, they're real. They're real. And they will be unleashed on the earth during this time. It, it will be unprecedented in human history, the level of destruction and death that will take place. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in Mark chapter 13 that if it were not for the, for the mercy of God and his self-restraint to cut it short, nobody on earth would live through the tribulation. Nobody. So I told you that the focus of God's calendar is, is Israel. The tribulation period is divided into two halves. In the first three and a half years, there will be a peace treaty that is made with Israel. And, and it will allow them to rebuild the temple uh, on the Temple Mount and begin to offer sacrifices again. It will be a restoration of Jewish worship. You know, you've heard of the, the Western Wall in Jerusalem. Just above the Western Wall is where the Holy of Holies was. That's why, that's why they pray there. That's as close to the Holy of Holies as they can get. Because Jews are not allowed on the Temple Mount right now. It's under Palestinian authority. So uh, they, that, that treaty will allow them to return to the Temple Mount and build the temple, build a temple again on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and it will be, it will be a glorious time for the Jewish people. They will be so excited. You, after after uh, centuries of war and conflict, to be able to go back up there and rebuild the temple and begin sacrifices again will seem like a dream come true. However... After those three and a half years are up, the treaty will be broken. It was always the intention of those who make the treaty. It's always the intention to break it. They're going to break it. They're going to desecrate and defile the temple of God. And then severe persecution on the Jews will begin. And it will be, it will be catastrophic. Those are the years that Jesus referred to when he's talking in Matthew 24 and 25 about great tribulation. That's what Jesus is talking about. Now, during this tribulation period, the world is ruled by an unholy trinity that's seen in Revelation 13. Two beasts and a dragon. A beast, in the, a beast of the sea and a beast of the land and a dragon. The dragon is identified as Satan, who empowers the two beasts. One beast is the Antichrist. The other beast is the false prophet. This combination of political power and religious power will prove to be a very powerful force on the earth. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact the, the false prophet will take control of the world's financial systems. He will demand that everyone in the world take a mark, commonly referred to as the mark of the beast. It'll be a, it may be a seal, like, a, like an old Roman coin that had 
the image of the ruler. It may be the image of the Antichrist or the image of, uh, of the false prophet. Uh, we're not really sure what it's going to look like. But that seal will be required if you are planning to buy or sell anything. So that would be food. That would be anything that you need to survive. I want to I read you this in Revelation 13, <clears throat> 16 through 18. Revelation 13. He required, this is the false prophet, required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, slave and free, to be given a mark on their right hand or in their forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without the mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is six, six. Six. It says let, let wisdom is needed. It is not necessarily for you to, to spend time trying to figure out who the man is. Okay? You, you can try, but many, many people have tried, and they've come up with all kinds of really interesting, uh, in, interesting ideas. Because you can kind of manipulate the number system to come out to 666, um, whoever you want it to say. That's why wisdom is needed, all right? I think the wisdom is quit trying to figure it out and just get ready. Just be ready, okay? So when I was a kid hearing these messages, it was hard to think about how this could happen. I just couldn't understand how they could cut people off. But a cashless society is almost a reality now, right? There's a lot of places you can't use cash anymore. Um, It's not hard to imagine how easy it would be to cut somebody off financially if there's no hard currency as an option, okay? Uh, I also couldn't imagine the mark of the beast, but you could have a microchip implanted in your right hand, in your right hand or your forehead right now for convenience sake if you wanted to, and a lot of people are concerned about sort of accidentally taking the mark of the beast, Right? They're like, I don't, I don't want to do anything to do with that because I, I, like, I don't want to tap my credit card. I feel like that might be the mark of the beast sneaking up on me. And, I, you know, I get that. I know some of y'all don't even buy stuff and it rings up to 666. You'd be like, nope, I'm getting this candy bar right here. Um, I, I understand that. And I understand the, the, the urge to sort of stay away from everything. Um, I cannot imagine that if it determines your eternity that you're not going to know that you're making a choice, okay? So I wouldn't worry about it sneaking up on you. Uh, as a matter of fact, just from the context of the Scripture, as you read it in, Roman, in Revelation 13, it seems clear that the, uh, the, there's a, a really clear line being drawn in the sand so that you have to choose to abandon your faith in Christ and follow this new world system, okay? So I, I don't think anybody's going to get snuck up on uh, I think it's okay for you to buy your Coke with your credit card. I think you're going to be okay, all right? But you do need to understand that it does seem that the technology is available right now for any of this stuff to happen, all right? Also featured in the tribulation period are the two witnesses. People ask me about this from time to time. These two, these two witnesses will be mighty in God's power. They will preach. They will prophesy. 
They'll work miracles. They'll release plagues. They're kind of given a blank check by God to do whatever they need to do. And they will be untouchable for three and a half years. Supernaturally protected. All right? But then their work will be done. And I want to show it to you in Revelation 11, uh, verses 7 through 12. Revelation 11. When they complete their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the bottomless pit will declare war against them, and he'll conquer them and kill them. And their bodies will lie in the main street of Jerusalem, the city that is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, the city where their Lord was crucified. Where was the Lord crucified? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And for three days, so there you go, you see Israel right in the middle of this. There, for three and a half days, uh, all people, tribes, languages, and nations will stare at their bodies. No one will be allowed to bury them. All the people who belong to this world will gloat over them and give presents to each other to celebrate the death of the two prophets who had tormented them. Tormented them with the gospel of Jesus, by the way. But after three and a half days, God breathed life into them and they stood up. <laughs> Surprise. Um, terror struck all those who were staring at them. You think? Uh, and then a loud voice from heaven called the two prophets, come up here. And they rose to heaven in a cloud as their enemies watched. You think God doesn't have a flair for the dramatic from time to time? Again, you see the connection with Israel. These guys will be murdered, martyred really for their faith in the streets of Jerusalem. Um, I wondered about this as a kid as well. You know, back in the dark ages, <clears throat> right after the wheel was invented, um, how every tribe and tongue and nation was going to see these guys. Like everybody's going to come and pass by these three dudes in the street. How, how, does that, how does the travel arrangements even work? You don't have to. Look at this. I can see anything anywhere in the world. You're like, well, people are poor. Listen, y'all, there are villages without running water, but they have a solar cell set up so they can charge their cell phones. I am not kidding. All right? So it's not hard to figure out with the advent of television and really more specifically the internet how every tribe and tongue and nation will be able to see these two dead prophets. Somebody asked me recently, who are these two prophets? I think they're going to be Elijah and Enoch. Okay, and here's why. Hebrews, Hebrews says it's appointed unto man once to die. Doesn't seem right that God would ask somebody to die twice. Especially when there's two guys standing around in heaven who never died in the first place. Y'all know how church people are. You mean like, God, they didn't die in the first place. You want me to go die twice? I don't think so. Right? So they're the only ones in the Bible that, that didn't die a natural death. So it makes sense. They will come back. They'll fulfill God's purpose for them. And then they'll die a natural death just like everybody else. But listen to me. If it's not Elijah and Enoch... Your salvation is still secure, everybody. Okay? So don't get hung up. If you, if you vehemently disagree with me, that's cool. You do you. I'm just telling you, based on Scripture, that's my understanding of it. All right. What surprises a lot of people is that there are lots and lots of people that will be saved during the tribulation. Um, they'll come to faith in Jesus, but at great personal cost. How are they going to know about Jesus if the church is already raptured out? Well, here are some ideas. Um, I'm not taking this with me when I go. 
So there'll be lots of copies of the Word that are still laying around. They may actually even be still online for people to, to read. Um, but once these devastating things start to happen, you don't think there's been some, some guys who've been raised in church who are going to say, oh, man, this is what my mama and daddy were telling me about. Right? So they go pick it up. They start reading it for themselves, and it's happening all around them. Okay? There'll be recorded sermons. There'll be Christian books that have been written that will probably either still be online or there'll still be physical copies laying around. There will be two, the two witnesses who will be preaching the gospel. Some of these people won't consider it torment. Some of them will hear it and go, that's the truth right there, and I'm going to give my life to Christ. There'll be an angel preaching, flying around the heavens, preaching. Let me show it to you. Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7. I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him. For the time has come when he will sit as judge, worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. It's going to be very difficult when we stand before God for anybody to say, I didn't know. I didn't have a chance. And then there'll be the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Okay, This is from Revelation uh, chapter 7 and Revelation 14. These are Jews, what we call Messianic Jews. They're Jews who believe in Jesus as the Messiah. There'll be 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's how we came to 144,000. They are, they, uh, they're, again, they're spoken of in Revelation 7, Revelation 14. They'll be given special protection, just like the witnesses were, uh, and, and they can't be killed until they complete their ministry. Uh, Revelation 14 says they are the first fruits. These 144,000 are the first fruits of the Jewish people who will decide to follow Jesus. Okay? They're going to, so it, there's no limit to the number of people who are going to make it to heaven. It says they're the first fruits, so they can't be all that's going to make it. They're just the beginning. They're just like the tithe of what's coming behind them. All right? There'll be many, many souls won to Christ during the tribulation period. And those five different ways that people can find out about, uh, about Jesus. So here's kind of the big picture. Here's what you need to know about the tribulation. Here's the first thing. It's going to be awful. There just aren't words to describe um, what happens when billions of people on this earth die. I don't even know how you describe that. Secondly, there'll be political and religious upheaval That'll be focused on deceiving Israel into a false peace and then attempting to wipe the Jewish people off the face of the earth forever. So that's really the focus of it. The third thing is there'll be a lot of people saved, but there will be severe persecution for the followers of Jesus. I think it's safe to say that the vast majority of people who choose to follow Jesus during the tribulation period are going to be killed for their faith. Or... You're just going to starve to death because you didn't take the mark of the beast. You can't get food. Okay? There'll be very, very difficult choices for people who choose to follow Jesus. Following Jesus will secure your eternity, but it'll cost you your life. Following the beast will condemn you to eternity in hell. It'll be gut-wrenching decisions that people have to make. I think it's going to be more like the early church where choosing to follow Jesus is essentially a death sentence. 
okay? It's been very easy for us uh, for a long, long time. That bears no resemblance to what it was like in the early church, no resemblance to what it's going to be like in the tribulation period. Don't, don't think you're going to wait. If you're, just, if you're just sitting here and you're like, yeah, I mean, I think this stuff probably will happen, but you know, I'm just going to wait until then and make a decision to follow Jesus then. Listen, if you can't make the decision to commit to Jesus now, you're just, you're just very unlikely to be able to do it then. Okay? Very unlikely. Um, and here's the, here's the last thing, um, the, maybe the most important thing. You have to choose a side. You've got to choose. There, there's just, the, the fence is going to be torn down. There's just not going to be a fence to ride anymore. No more cultural Christianity. There'll be a heavy price to pay for following Jesus. So you have to choose. You have to choose. Last week, we talked about uh, taking a stand for Israel that, and, and the fact that they're at the center of the Word of God and prophetic events. And today's just been sort of a glimpse, a shallow overview of what's really going to happen in the future, in our tomorrow. Next week, we're going we're gonna to continue the discussion. We'll talk about how the tribulation ends. We'll talk about the battle of Gog uh, against Gog and Magog, uh, the battle of Armageddon how Israel's at the center of it all, and then we'll talk about what, what happens after that. Um, here's just a couple of teasers that should be coming next week. So you've heard about the streets of gold, the gates of pearl. Yes? <laughs> Y'all been to church, right? Those are not in heaven, okay? So I'll show you where they are and what that has to do with Israel. You've also heard the scripture about the lion laying down with the lamb. That's actually not in the Bible. But I'll show you what the Bible does say and when that's going to happen as well, okay? Um, so what's the takeaway today? The Bible says comfort each other with these words about end times, with the words about the rapture and what happens after that. I want to read you one more passage, Titus, Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we're instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this world, in this evil world, with wisdom and righteousness and devotion to God while we look forward with hope. Another translation says, our blessed hope to the wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You must teach these things. Paul is writing to the pastor of this church, Titus, and he's telling him, you've got to teach people these things and encourage believers to do them. And you've got the authority to correct them when necessary. So don't let anybody disregard what you say. Two big takeaways here that will help you to take comfort in this blessed hope. Here's the first thing. Be sure of your salvation. The time for playing church is over. It's over. Make a real decision to completely surrender your life and your will and your ways to Jesus. Rest in his sacrifice for your sins. 
Quit trying to earn it yourself. Don't try to do good things. Hopefully it'll balance out on the back. So that's not how that works. Rest in his sacrifice for your sins. Receive his power for your life. Get busy loving Jesus, worshiping Jesus, and serving Jesus. All those are signs of a real relationship with Jesus. So I don't have to do any of that stuff. I'm just, I'm resting in my relationship with Jesus. You can't love Jesus and not love other people. You can't love Jesus and not serve Jesus. And then here's the second thing. First, make sure your salvation is is certain. And secondly, make sure your focus is not limited to today. There is a tomorrow coming. How often do you think about it? How often do you think about tomorrow's coming? I'm not talking about when like the best people in your life, you can't get them on the phone and they ain't at the house and you think you missed it. Y'all ever done that? Like, oh man, I can't find mama. I don't know how many times that happened to me as a kid. Like, God, missed it. Um, Every day is a good time to remember that there's a tomorrow. We should do what we do for the Lord with with one eye, as, as Paul told Titus, with an eye towards our blessed hope that one day soon the King is coming. The King is coming. Amen. That's our hope. That's our hope. That's where our peace comes from. Y'all stand with me, please. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna pray. Altar's open. Altar's always open. If you got something you want to pray about? You come and pray. Um, I would I would strongly suggest that you that you do those last two things that I said make sure you're saved make sure you're saved and secondly make sure that you're not just living for today that you've got an eye towards our blessed hope and you can be comforted by the fact that he's coming to get his church because you know that you know that you know that you're part of that church Right. If you've got something else to pray about, you've got some other decision coming up, you've got physical need, you've got a financial need, whatever, relationship need, whatever it is, then, then I want you to come and pray. And then we'll be dismissed together in just a few minutes, okay? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you've told us things so that we don't have to be afraid. But you've told us stuff so that we know what's coming, and we can be prepared to see you and to meet you and to rise to meet you in the air. I thank you that you've given us away through your son, Jesus. I thank you that he has paid the sacrifice for our sin. And I thank you that if we will surrender our lives to him, admit that we're a sinner, surrender our lives and our will and our way to him, Lord, then you will forgive us of our sin. You will pay the price take away all the shame and the guilt and the condemnation and give us life eternally with you. And we thank you for that great privilege that we don't deserve, but that we desperately need. And I pray that every person under the sound of my voice today, wherever they are and whenever they hear it, will take this opportunity to give their lives to you. 
And I pray, Lord, that as we surrender our lives to you, no matter how long ago it's been, that we will live every day with an eye towards eternity, knowing that tomorrow is coming. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.